Welcome to the Space Cave, a big warg to all of you Spaceburgers out there. Let's get right into part two with Allison Rosen, who is your new best friend, which is the name of her podcast that I am on uh, fairly frequently. You can listen to it on Thursdays and check out her new book, uh, Tropical Attire Encouraged and Other Phrases That Scare Me. Find that links on her Twitter and website and etc. Check it out. She's a really great writer. Also, a fantastic conversationalist. We dive into her history as a music journalist in this one. Apologies for some of the um, ambient sounds in the background. You'll hear us talk about it a little bit. I hope it doesn't distract too much. Anyway, enjoy. We're here in Dining Room Studios, brought the space cave outside of the norm, the normal boundaries, and we're here in a place where I've been many a time doing your podcast. That's right. I made you do Space Cave on remote, and I brought you here to my studio where there is now some outside noise, and I feel like a real jerk for that. (laughs) I did not anticipate this. It could have very well happened in my neighborhood as well. We don't live that far from each other. That's so true. you might have heard this very same leaf blower. <laughs> it carries several blocks. <laughs> yeah, you have no idea. <laughs> I wanted to um, do this additional segment because I realized like when we were talking that one, you did a, a, a good move where, and I'm probably susceptible to this as anybody, we like, I couldn't tell if it was because maybe you were a little bored or vulnerable, but like had kind of begun interviewing me to a certain degree. Oh, I just, I, I don't think I was bored. Oh, okay. Maybe I felt vulnerable, but I'm not a, I don't recall. I think I just do that. Mm. I think I was just like, I want to, I want to know you more. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't remember actually doing that. Uh, and I take offense that you are saying that I did that. <laughs> I <only laughs> so I'm going to need some proof. <laughs> no, um, I, yeah, I think I, I probably was just having, I remember it being a really good conversation. So yeah. I, I think that I just was asking questions. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think so. I think what it was is that I wasn't asking, I wasn't getting to, cause I know you pretty well and you're on your show. You're much more um, open and talk about yourself a little bit more. So then I'm able to kind of be like, Oh yeah, I know this and this and this. Whereas after it was, after we recorded, I was like, I certainly talked about myself a lot more than I normally do. And that's why I felt that way. Not that you had been like, Oh, I'm going to, turn the tables necessarily mm. or anything. Like, I just felt like oh I don't normally talk about those things which is like kind of the the well, I don't know what you would call it like the uh the rub no, oh no, no, I no. guess I don't know what direction you're going I was gonna say like that's the, oh the hallmarks uh, say of like a good conversation I that think you, so like, yeah divulge a bit about yourself to the other person and mm. therefore well you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> But then I realized we were talking on your show shortly thereafter, and you said, you mentioned this one little term that I was like, that's so fascinating, and I don't know anything about that and or you doing that, which was being a stringer. Oh, yeah, for Rolling Stone. Yeah. Um, so I journalism was my thing many moons ago, um, and sort of 
recently again, but that was like what I always thought I was going to be when I grew up. Um, I started pretty young. I don't, I don't know how much I talked about this at all on the last one. I don't um, think we, we didn't okay. even address it. And I thought like, yeah, there were things like, um, IVF that were fascinating yes. about the like, process you've been through. Maybe we can get into that as well, but specifically like, I love the movie Almost Famous. Yes. And so I kind of think of you kind of being there with your notepad. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it kind of was like that. Okay, well, I was going to say, if I start to repeat myself, just spritz me with that water bottle that's <laughs> sitting right there. But it sounds as if I won't then. So I'll still like to retain the right, though. Okay. <laughs> yes, you have the right. So I was on my high school newspaper, and the Los Angeles Times had a page called The High Life where they would run features written by students and the editor of the paper told me that she had received a, the editor of our the trident corona del Mar, uh-huh. mars high school paper uh, and i was the editor of a section in the paper and i cannot remember the name but it was like i know that we would tackle a big theme each was it month week i don't remember how often this thing came out um so i remember we did like sensationalism which i don't think was my idea because that just seems too hard to nail down (laughs) and someone had gone to wally george and written about the experience um and then we talked about like racism and just big topics yeah (laughs) anyway the editor told me that she'd received a call from this guy who worked at the la times and was they were looking for students to write features so i was like, oh, I would, I would love to do that. So I contacted him, and my idea was to write about the coffee house scene for high schoolers because I was just getting in. I got, we, I became quite a regular at the coffee houses around town, and it just seemed. I don't. Some of the stuff I wrote when I was young, I think that I thought like, I have my finger on the pulse. This is a big trend. And I look back now and I'm like, was it really? Was there something novel about this at that time? Or was it just that I was young and it was new to me? Like, mm-hmm. what were coffee houses enjoying some kind of renaissance at that particular moment? Or was it that I just learned that they are a thing where you can go? <laughs> well, this would have been in like the 90s, right? Yes. Yeah, I feel like the grunge scene mm-hmm. and Starbucks really right. sort of taking over. Yeah, I could see okay. where... Okay, yeah, I reasonable. think so. Yeah, it's because... Right, so I started talking about coffee houses and I interviewed various people about, you know, why do you hang out at coffee houses and da-da-da. Um, and then I did another one, which was about... Pay to play. Are you familiar with that term? Like payola, the where the what I'm guessing it is is the record companies paying radio stations to play the music more. No, that is payola. That's okay. super cool. Pay to play was um, actually I feel like it's not that dissimilar from things that happen in the comedy world, but bands down in Orange County. If it wasn't just Orange County bands, but a lot of LA clubs, if you wanted to have a show there, it was what's called pay to play, oh, where yeah. you had to buy the tickets and then sell them yourselves. Yeah, they used to the bring show was the dreaded thing in comedy that was like that and it's not really around as much anymore but like I didn't realize bands would have to do that Mm -hmm. yeah I don't know how much that I'm very out of touch with the music scene now so I don't and it it was my thing for so long. I don't know how much that happens anymore. But so I wrote an article about Orange County bands trying to break into the LA scene. Were you in a band at this point? No, I okay. just was into music. Okay. And uh, an editor for a magazine called Mean Street, which was a local magazine, um, saw local it. To Corona Del Mar. <laughs> it was local <laughs> to my parents' house. No, it was uh, Southern California. Southern okay. California music scene, I think, is what they what it, what it called itself. And and actually, there's an account on Instagram called something like no doubt archive. And they tagged me 
because they posted a photo of an article that I had written. Cool. Um, and they post a lot of stuff from, from Mean Street, cause, uh-huh. so it's cool to see that. But anyway, this guy contacted me and asked if I would want to write for them. And I don't know if he knew that I was a high schooler. Um, or At this point, Wait, I had graduated. Wait, was this from, he'd seen the LA Times Yeah, he thing? saw that LA Times article. This is a pretty great little, like... It was. Yeah. My, it, a lot of stuff like that happened, where, like, one person... Yeah, I, it, it was really cool the way it happened. So he asked if I would want to write for them. I guess that was the summer between graduation and college. So I started writing for them, and and kind of at the beginning, I, re- I remember... You know, they're like, do you want to interview this band? Call this publicist. And I'm like, I don't know at all how this works. So I called the, and, and I think I admitted that when I called the publicist. I'm like, hi, I'm not quite sure how to go about this, but I wanted to interview this band. And That's would you be the approach. person? Yeah. Um, and then I interviewed them. And that back then, I now I think people bring digital recorders or actually you just use your voice memos on your phone. But I had um, a little thing that like a dictation machine that could record stuff onto a cassette. Like if I, uh, I, I yeah. graduated to mini cassette at a certain point, but this is a full, full cassette. And I sat there and interviewed them. And I remember I filled up the entire first tape and then like filled up another tape. It was the <laughs> longest, most thorough interview. I used to do the most thorough. I mean, I guess that's really where I learned to interview, but I remember one band and I thought they were dicks being like, do you get paid by the minute? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm sorry, but we are going to talk about everything that happened in your childhood. <laughs> I feel it's germane to my tiny piece that I'm going to be writing. Because they give you like 500 words yeah. and then you're going to parse it down where you're d- learning how to like, I got to really condense this by going like, and then da, 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 da. You know, like I picture you listening to the hours on the tape. And oh, like, man. Oh, my goodness. You know, like I didn't. Um, transcribing was always one of my least favorite parts. Mm-hmm. And I think still I wouldn't. It's just laborious. But during the transcription process, the story would start to form in my mind. So I sort of had a system where I would interview the band and then I would. I, my preference was not to transcribe on the same day. That, that's just because I'm lazy. But then I would tra- transcribe and then I would hopefully have a night to sleep on it before writing the piece. And mm-hmm. maybe, I forget when I would do this, but after transcribing, I would go through and I would underline the quotes that I knew I wanted to use. Um, but yeah, if I ever had to do it where I didn't have that night to sleep on it, I, it felt rushed to me, which is why I don't think I'd be great writing for a daily newspaper. I always... I, I felt like something sort of cohered in my subconscious while I slept on it. Again, it might just be an excuse for being lazy. But it doesn't sound lazy, though. I mean, it does sound like if you had a date, it's weird within music that there would be a daily, like, we got to hear about that pay to play thing. Put right. <laughs> right. some words on our desk by tomorrow morning. <laughs> so they would no, give you a few days. They did, yeah, yes. Although when I started writing for websites, oftentimes they would need it a lot faster. Um, so I didn't get to be as like fastidious with my, with my process as I, as I wanted to. I think my preference was always writing for monthlies. Mm-hmm. Although I only ever worked on staff at weeklies. <laughs> and that is a very fast turnaround. Yeah. And then uh, at a weekly, when there's a week where there's a day off for a holiday, then you have to turn around the whole issue in four days, which always somehow goes really well. And then you always think, if we can do it, why are we taking five days? But it's like, because it's just too hard. Yeah. So I, I wrote for Mean Street for a while. I think I wrote for Mean Street all through college and even after college a bit. By the way, Mean so- Street did not pay. And the LA Times did not pay. But it was just like, hey, this will get your name out there? Yes. I I had a good attitude about it for a long time, which was, 
I wanted the clips, especially so after Mean Street. So then this sort of serendipitous thing happened where the editor of Mean Street wanted me to write about a band and he had assigned me a story and he had assigned this guy, JR, a story. And I went to Pomona College and JR went to Cal Poly Pomona and he accidentally sent each of us the wrong tape, like the other person's tape. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we had to meet up to do the tape exchange and then we became friends and then JR started working for a magazine called Access, A-X-C-E-S-S. It was a glossy national magazine down in San Diego that covered music, tech, art, and culture. I thought it was going to be heavy on guitars just with Access. No, it should have been, but it was not. And I did... So this was like a really glossy, good-looking magazine, and I had really good clips from them. And I did cover stories. I did the first national cover story on No Doubt, I did a cover story on Mila Jovovich, and I don't know if it's Jovovich or Jovovich. I'm sure I did at the time. Yeah. I think it's Jovovich. Mila jo- I say Jovovich. I also don't know if it's Jojoba or Jojoba oil. Oh, I don't either. I say, I, don't know. I, like, I prefer Jojoba oil. Me too. <laughs> I had a friend, and this is one last thing about this. I had a friend in college named Johanna, uh-huh. pronounced Johanna, but before I was friends with her in my head, I always thought it was Johanna. <laughs> <laughs> which is a cool name yeah that is hohana hohana oh, what's up hohana <laughs> but rough as a as a girl in high school yeah ho is the beginning yeah of you name. don't want that but so if, with, with mean streets in your connection and no doubt had you developed a bit of a friendship with them that you could go back and be like hey i'm working for access now and do another no one? because the access story actually came first oh okay mm-hmm. and, but then when i talked to them for mean street um, they already knew who I was. So that was nice. Yeah. And when you say like you wanted the clips, that means like you're trying to put together a portfolio. Yes. So I w- my one of my least favorite things I would have to do frequently was go to Kinko's. I hate Kinko's. I hate paper. I'm just <laughs> any any sort of application involving paper where you start it and then you need to take a break and then there's just all these piles of paper. Like I just hate it. I'm yeah. a very cluttery kind of person mm-hmm. um, and I'm not organized and I feel like to handle paper, you you need to be organized. So yeah. what made me start that? <laughs> I completely uh, so, lost my train of thought. Well, I asked if you had to like put together a portfolio. Oh, portfolio. Oh, Kinko's. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, w- so anytime an, something I, I wrote came out, I would save a hard copy of it and then I would go to Kinko. Not, I wouldn't, Every, I wouldn't go to Kinko's every time. It would be like when I, I don't know, periodically I would go to Kinko's and make new clips. Mm-hmm. And so then I, and then I would, and for Kinko's, I actually, I mean, for Access Magazine, I actually made color copies just because it was a very vibrant, good looking yeah, yeah. magazine. So um, then periodically, like usually when I had this surge of ambition and I was so, I was so confident in my writing ability and I was young mm-hmm. um, and I was just like, I'm going straight to the top. <laughs> you so really were on a trajectory. It felt like I was. Yeah. It felt like I, it felt like, like almost like I could barely take my teachers seriously because like I'm already published. Yeah. Like, what are you, how are you going to tell me anything? Yeah, like, what, I'm already doing it. <laughs> when you got from your advisor, whoever was like the counselor or overseer at the Trident. In mm. Oh, well Korea. I was, I was now in college, Okay, but but that started in high school. It did, right? yeah. And that was just like the very last end, year of high yeah. school. Yeah, okay. The very end of college. But yeah, so it, I hadn't morphed into uh, an insufferable, <laughs> <laughs> an insufferable egomaniac in high school yet. But in college, a little bit. I remember getting like a B, or I don't know if it was B minus or B plus, or I don't know what it was. Yeah. And saying that like on an English paper and saying something like, 
I know that writing is important to you and you take it very seriously. So it's surprising to me how scattered your prose is. And I had just written some shitty, shitty paper. Mm-hmm. I think this I've never talked about. So I was an English major and I, there was a lot of critical theory and I don't think I understood it. I think I got the gist, but a lot of it is really abstruse and dense and hard to understand and translated from French. And so I think that I was like, this has a certain, this sounds a certain way. So I'm just going to write in a way that I'm going to mimic the style, but I'm not saying anything, just like I suspect they're not saying anything. But my teacher saw through that. <laughs> Lo and behold, as far as she was concerned, they were saying something yeah. that I and I was not uh, saying anything. And that's accurate. I was not really saying anything in the particular paper she was talking about. But anyway, I kind of I remember just being like, <laughs> like, what kind of injustice is this that I had received <laughs> such a paltry grade? So yeah, I was kind of an ass. Um, so I would make. I would go to Kinko's. It was always a very hot newsprint filled day. I truly loathe Kinko's. At a certain point, I was playing in a band as well. And people in bands, at least in Orange County, they love Kinko's. You go to Kinko's to make flyers and then you go flyer. And like, I wanted no part of any of that. Yeah. But I would make these clips and then I would, uh, so I'd have like a stack of, you know, 10 articles that I'd written. And then I would say, Oh, I want to write for this magazine. And then I would, so I would send them to that magazine and I would do it in bunches. Mm -hmm. Um, and I always had really good luck doing that. I mean, not, it's not like every magazine I sent them to wanted me to write for them, but I remember just thinking like, and I joked about it before, but thinking I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go straight to the top. And I sent them to people and Rolling Stone and I don't know who else. That was when I graduated college. And, and people and Rolling Stone got back to me. Wow. And I do think it was because my clips were eye-catching. And mm-hmm. I had so many of them. Like, yeah. I I've heard of other people who would send like two or three clips. And I'm like, here's 10, <laughs> 10 <laughs> clips. And yeah. So then I started doing some stuff for people. It was just picks and pans. Um, I, I did more stuff for people website, but picks and pans. And then Rolling Stone. So you had to kind of be a critic. Yes. And, and be a, in a band. Yes. How did that feel? The band, me being in a band is the part that felt disingenuous. Oh, why? More because I wrote about music for a long time and people who are in bands who don't and who don't like what you write about them, they'll be like, oh, every critic is just a frustrated musician. And I felt <laughs> like I'm not, though. I really don't have dreams of being a rock star. That being, let me just go back and say, though, I always thought of myself more as a music writer than a music critic. Yeah. Um. I per, I like to do features and I like to interview and I like to write about experiences, um, and or try to translate something into words. I didn't. I never felt confident standing in judgment of something artistic. So, what would one of your pans be? Just like, ah, eh, this is not their I, best work, or. Well, there were a couple bands that put so much attention in their image, and I remember that rub me the wrong way mm-hmm. although well although daniel loves stuff like that like he loves the white stripes and he feels like that's it's part of their art the way they only wear two colors yeah um and i'm sure it's changed now because it because <laughs> i think jack white wears more than just white and red now right i feel like i yeah. can see him in black yeah yeah but the sort of the the uh aesthetic boundaries that he put on himself daniel can't he he can't get enough of that yeah and i don't know it always i i came from more of a it should be organic and also just 
my own personal bias is you should give interviews. So when a band would come along with this sort of impenetrable image and a ton of buzz, <laughs> like we're hearing outside, <laughs> and also they, they had this contentious relationship with the press, that always really bugged me. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a couple somewhat snarky, I would say more than critical pieces about I actually wrote something Nick, kind of snarky about Beechwood Sparks. Do you know them? No. And I've come around to like them. Okay. And then there was a band. I don't know if they were called the Makers. I can't even remember what they, not the Make. I can't remember what they were called. Something like the Makers. And they just really, there was such a scene and they seemed so artificial to me. So it was always something like, inauth- inauth- something that struck me as inauthentic. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, I didn't want to be seen as a frustrated musician because I didn't feel like I was. I always played music. It was a hobby, but I, I never had dreams of, of being a rock star. So then when I started playing in a band and also writing about music, I worried that, well, now I'm that cliche. Oh, yeah. But like when your friends ask you or whoever to like start the band, did they have to talk you out of it? Like, just play. You like playing. Or- no. No, I... When I graduated college, I was kind of like lost for a while. And then the band thing came along and I'm like, oh, what the hell? It could be fun. And it was fun. I think the way that it created stress was two of the people in the band and they're still in bands. Like that's, they, they are professional musicians. They wanted to be professional musicians. They were very ambitious. And then my friend, the one who got me into the beginning, she, she was, she was kind of along for the ride either way. She wasn't as hardcore about it as they were. And then I was like the whole time kind of having this identity crisis of like, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. I'm supposed to be a hotshot reporter. I'm not even supposed to be living in Orange <laughs> County. What happened? That would have been so funny if you guys became at the same level as like the white stripes yeah. and the whole time. Like, <laughs> this isn't what I want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that is, I mean, and we, we weren't taking off or anything, but that is how I began to feel. I began to feel like the life that I wanted to lead is going one way and I'm going another. So I kind of made the decision. I'm going to move to New York. Um, and then I did that. Touring? Did you put we out were touring EPs? a little bit? We put, yeah, we put out a couple things and we were touring a bit. Anything that can be listened to currently? Um, we have two songs in soundtracks, so it's sort of a, a, a long way to get there. But yes, if you get the soundtrack for Down and Out with the Dolls, there's one of our songs in there, and the soundtrack for a movie called Pray for Rock and Roll. Wow. These sound like things that you would have to have some cachet to get into. Like, these guys get it. They're not like a novelty, or they're not uh, just another trendy, poppy thing. Like, did you guys have... Velvet Underground influences or the New York Dolls or, or things that like those two movies make me think of. For right. Reason. Yeah. I think that Paula and Tim were very, those are the ones who are super into it. Mm-hmm. Um, they were very influenced by the damned and we were all influenced by X and old punk. So yeah, we mm-hmm. were pretty, we were pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna. We were fun and we were cool. <laughs> and what'd you do in it? I played guitar okay. and sang backups. Sweet. Man, I want to hear some of this music. Hopefully I can find some. Play it at the end of this Someone episode. was just asking me, um, is does it exist anywhere online? And it used to. There was a website that had some of it, but not anymore. I have, I'm sure I have CDs somewhere though. What was it called? The Angoras. The Angora. Ah, oh, that's a cool There's band another name. name. There's another band called Angora that's not us. We were the Angoras. That's a type of sheep, right? Yeah, it's a sheep, a rabbit, and a goat. The name came from um, Paula, our singer, was watching an episode of Laverne and Shirley and they were in a girl gang called the Angora Debs. Oh. So that's where she got the name. 
there, um, going back to cowboy stuff, there's a type of shaps that would be like Angora, which oh. I think Pee Wee Herman may wear in the big adventure, the big like woolly. Oh, yeah. Those old thing. Like the, I don't know. I guess for the winter, like cowboys would wear those, but Angora would be like a type of, of warm, a, warm, woolly sort of. And you say shap? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to say That's shaps. a cool way to say it. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. like the, the in the no way. That's like, yeah, if you go to the West or, or just around any sort of cowboy folks. You'd say chaps. If you said chaps, they'd be like, oh, boy. <laughs> Where does the name come from? I have no idea. Probably chaparral. Oh, yeah. Like well, that or, makes sense. You don't say chaparral. Yeah. Um, so the Angoras are going along. You're miserable doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And not only was I miserable doing it, I was making other people miserable as well. <laughs> I remember getting uh, a speech from our drummer about how attitude counts and like i you you could have if you could have heard the sound of me rolling my eyes in my eye sockets and sometimes i think about that i think about how attitude does nowadays now yeah. that i'm aware of this i i think about attitude does really count yeah and like if you're working on a project with someone and they're in a really bad mood you really soak it up but at the time yeah. i think i had I, I i'm describing myself i'm being so unflattering in my description of myself i'm not sure it's totally fair i'm i hope that I'm better than the way I'm describing my, I was better than the way I'm describing myself. But I think that I had a bit of like, I didn't ask to be born like, and it kind of coursed through all aspects of my life. Yeah. Um, and there was just resistance, you know, it's like, I didn't even want to be in this. Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) Which you're allowed to when you're like ambitious and have a clear focus. I feel like a lot of times in life you get pushback or you really get this feeling of like, Oh, you're, it's, that may not be an opportunity for you. And then people, especially here in LA, have to like do yoga and meditate and go like, I'm just alive. That's, right. that's good enough. And if anything happens beyond that, terrific. But yeah, when you like have opportunities, I, it seems like people are being such dicks when that's happening at the time. But like you kind of need that. Mm-hmm. You're like, I want to go here. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, it felt almost like when I did move to New York, because mind you, I thought like I'm freelancing a ton. I'm writing for Rolling Stone now. I'm going straight to the top. <laughs> Look at me. I did not realize that's not quite how it works. And I got to New York and it, that was a hard and humbling adjustment for a long time. And then I got a staff job and then things picked up again. What'd you do when the staff job wasn't, were you still doing like freelance? I was freelancing. Yeah, I was freelancing. I also took a temp job um, and I, yeah, I was kind of doing anything I could. Um, I had some savings, so I couldn't have moved to New York without savings. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it wasn't the the financial strain. Later, it was late. I I so I worked full time um, at magazines, and then I went f- freelance again later when I was there. And the first year was really good, and then the next year was tougher. And so then I was then I was doing the like, oh my god, how am I going to pay rent thing? That that's just a that's just a tough it's a tough spot if the way you make money is through something creative yeah because no in my experience like nothing great comes out of that nervous feeling of like <laughs> oh shit i gotta shit out a great novel <laughs> you know um but yeah it was just like i don't i don't know where i belong when i first got to new york and i had been in a band and now i'm not and i felt i i was very socially insecure which i hadn't been for a long time and i just couldn't really like i felt like i couldn't break into to New York. Did you have people that you knew from yeah. here that had moved there? Or my that my sister lived there. Oh, nice. Um, she was in it. She was doing Teach for America at the time, though. Like she was in a completely different world than I was. But it was nice that she was there. Yeah. So yeah, it did take, but it took a while to. I knew a few other people. Um, 
but I didn't know a ton of people there. Did it, I'm trying to picture like your day to day or month to month of like, would you just go to shows and write up something and submit it? Or did you have to get the the request first? I always got the request first, Mm -hmm. Um, but it was a lot of pitching. So it'd be like, hey, would you be interested in an article on this? Hey, would you be, no, actually, story is the, the, yeah. wor- the word that was used. Would you be interested in a story on this? Would you be a story on this? Um, and then a lot of applying for jobs. There was a website called Media Bistro, which would post, um, I'm trying to think like what the equivalent would be now. I don't even know that there is an equivalent. Mm-hmm. Um, just media news and media jobs. And I would apply to a lot of those and stuff that was really not like stuff, a lot of stuff that's like, you know, attention to detail, a must. And I'm like, that's not me at all. (laughs) Um, But I would apply to those. And, you know, I ended up, the job that I ended up getting was one that perfectly matched my skill set, which I feel like is just kind of how it happens in life. Mm -hmm. Um, like this notion that other people are as invested in your growth as a creative human as you are was <laughs> dashed very quickly. That's a young person's way of looking at it. You know, yeah. that like I want to grow as a writer and a media person. And so I'm going to stretch my, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to grow into this job that, it ha- that will teach me new things. Like it, Sometimes it works that way, but usually they want someone who already can do exactly what they want. So when I was hired at timeout in New York, uh, as a music writer, it's like, well, that is exactly <laughs> what I know how to do. I've been doing it for years at this point. So worked Did Time Out m- New York go under? Is it still around? It's still, a, it's still around. I, it's gone through some different, it's like it was bought by someone else. And I actually, I'm not that in touch with, no, it's still around because I know that all the people that I used to, many of the people that I, I used to work with are still working there. Um, it was in LA or is in LA as a website. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I, but I feel like I heard, I don't, I feel like maybe they fell on hard times. That was, it was all after I left though. Like 2007 or so. I was doing a show there, I think at Caroline's and some, this woman came up to me afterward and handed me either a card or something that was from time out in New York and was like, here, uh, if you're in town next time, let me know. We can like get some press going or something. Oh, that's cool. That was really nice. Was and it then, Jane Borden? I that weirdly that name sounds familiar. She was the, I, the 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 head of the comedy section. Sounds, she lives out here now, by the way. That's so fast. I, that name sounds very. familiar. I bet you it was her because who else would yeah. have been would have been representing the comedy section? Yeah, and I emailed her later, and I I feel like the site was not up or the, something was like made me feel like oh they're not around anymore. But that might have been just her email address didn't work or something. Right. It was years later. It was like five years later. Probably because she left. Yeah. yeah, I was like, I should probably look into this (laughs) (laughs) way after the fact. But what was your, you got staffed at timeout? Yeah. So I worked in the music section um, and I, each week I would, and that was reviews. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was features, but it was also a lot of reviews, which again, like the other people, that worked in the section were really like they each had their area of expertise and they really knew everything about it. And they were super like, they were like they had this encyclopedic knowledge of music, sort of a stereotypical music critic. Yeah. Like from the movies. Yeah. And I was just more of a writer who enjoyed hanging out with musicians. I think 
I always I, I frequently toggled back and forth between writing about music and just writing more general stuff that had ha- I, I worked at the OC Weekly when I was still here and I started in the music section and then I switched to features and that was the same thing that happened to me at Time Out New York I started in music and then I switched to features um, so I would I would frequently go back and forth what what era is this? What year? This was like I'm guessing 2000, early two thousand. It was like two thousand. Well, I know that I. Um, so they had this uh, thing called the hot seat, which was a Q and A with a celebrity on the back page of Time Out New York, and I took over that. And I think that was was that. Now I'm just quoting things from my own bio that I'm. <laughs> I feel like my bio says I helmed hot seat from 2005 to 2008, but that seems longer than I did. I think I worked there from end of 2004 to beginning of, two, I think I was there for like three years, so like oh, beginning okay. of 2008. No, but you know, then I handed some hot seats after I left. I think I left in 2000 or 2000, I mean, sorry, in 2007 or 2008 mm-hmm. was there from, so mid aughts. Yeah. Some, some good like indie rock coming out then. Mm-hmm. Like when you brought up, the white stripes, which was a little bit before that, I guess. But yeah. Like, what was in that period or what would have been like something that you had to write a review of a band and just think, I don't really want to do this. I'd rather do the Q and a or like the feature. Right. Story. Um, well, I remember I did a Q and a with Nico case. Cool. And that was very cool. Uh, I, I reviewed the Ravonettes. Mm-hmm. I liked them a lot. I'm trying to think of, um, I wrote about a band called the giraffes who I think like I recently found them on Facebook and they're still going. And I really, I think I wrote about them for the village voice as well. I really liked them or like them if they're still around. (laughs) I recommend everyone go check out the giraffes. You're still listening giraffes. Yeah. Like what you're doing. And the lead singer, he was so charismatic and he's just like born to be a star. And he had a heart attack one. He's, he's still with us. He had a heart attack one night. It was just like this crazy, I think congenital. Cause of course was when someone who's like, you're like the most rock star person. I know you assume drugs or something, but I think it was just a, a heart defect. Yeah. Um, so then they put in a pacemaker. Every phone call was like, Johnny had a heart attack, not cocaine. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I interviewed Brendan. What's his name? Brendan who ended up doing a band with Jack White. There was oh, the Raconteurs. Right, yeah, yeah. I don't um, know the name. I don't know the last name of Brendan, but I know the Raconteurs a little. Yes. From that band. I also I remember my first assignment was to go down to the knitting factory where there was a music uh union like the, whatever the music union was on strike and like cover that. And that was kind of cool. I liked stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think who else. It's like, it's all, this feels like so, it feels like a lifetime ago, honestly. <laughs> I, yeah. It's, it, it's so fascinating though. I think it's so atypical and such a weird scene to be in. Did you ever watch, and it was evidently panned and it criticizes being a bad, one of HBO's worst shows with that show Vinyl with Bobby Kamala. I watched a bit of it, yeah. I liked it more than other people because I like when something takes you into that world of like, oh, we're going into CBGB when it was, you know, early on. Right. Just, you picture like the journalist being there like, the atmosphere was thick with blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like really yeah. capturing that feel. I love, that's the kind of stuff I really loved doing though. Like mm-hmm. I, when I, at one point at the section where people would review live shows. Yeah. That's a big thing you do. <laughs> um, and I loved doing that because that was like sort of 
you could really have with the OC Weekly, you could really have a voice with it. So, mm-hmm. the, you know, the story usually would start before I got to the club and just I tried to make it funny. So I like doing that kind of stuff a lot. And then I did that a little bit for um, the New York Press. Mm-hmm. And then I also did some live reviews for the Village Voice. But the Village Voice live reviews were more straightforward about the music. Oh. So that when you say like the stop me right what did something sour like why how no i don't think anything i don't think anything soured um although i feel grateful that i did make a career switch because i think a life in magazines is tough like most people that i was in magazines with are not still in that world there are some like my friend who's a film critic at time at new york he's it's amazing to me that he's still there because for me, it was like this, like in and out. I mean, it was a few years, but in and out. Like I can't. Yeah. And it's, it's a, Mike, it's kind of a, it was very different. I was very fortunate working at the OC Weekly. It, like we had a great editor and it was really felt like a family. And it really was about learning to be a better writer. And it was just a really like collegial vibe. Whereas Time Out New York, they don't pay you very much. And you have a ton of work. Mm-hmm. Not that I was paid well at the OC Weekly either, but it's like, New York is expensive and it's yeah. just like a shoestring budget and it's almost like a, a writing sweatshop and it's just, you can feel how sort of how um, like almost crushed, like there's the, the spirit of the people is kind of down. <laughs> it's there, there's a sense of demoralization. I don't know. I'm speaking about how it was when I was there. I don't yeah. know what it's like anymore. And yes, I did have fun while I was there too, but um, it, it wasn't this, it wasn't what I thought, magazines and newspapers should be it seems like things like that have a way of taking advantage of young enthusiastic yes. people in a way that a lot of times they're comfortable with like, right well, i get a lot of swag i get in free to show yes I get to yeah mingle. we got to expense all of our cabs yeah that's kind of cool and we got a ton of free shit mm-hmm. but i do wonder the people who worked there who had kids or who were just older like they must have worked out a better deal for themselves they they must have there's just no way oh, otherwise great another uh, <laughs> dinosaur junior t-shirt wonderful <laughs> so it was at time out new york that i started doing television stuff because they had a segment or not a segment no yeah a segment on channel four wnbc which was like their local news called best bets or maybe they want to start it. it this, this part is not important. Um, but an email went around to the staff saying like, hey, you know, we're, we're going to be doing this segment on NBC4 on Weekend Today in New York called Best Bets where we feature, because the main thing of Time Out New York is their listings. You know, here's yeah. what's going on this week. Where we feature events going on in the city. Would anyone be interested? So I responded, I would. And then they had me do a, like an hour of media training, which was kind of, it was kind of fun. Yeah. And then I went on and they were going to have a rotating group of editors, but I did it and they really liked me and they decided they wanted just me to do it, which was really cool. Um, but I remember them saying like, oh, hey, are, is she available? It was like a Thursday. Is she available on Saturday? And it just seemed too soon for me. <laughs> um and I wanted like a lot of, so then, so then I just to make a long story short, I started doing a lot of live TV stuff, live news stuff. Mm-hmm. And that world is really can be very fast paced and last minute. So was it similar to the band? Were you like, I don't want to be here either. No, no. Cause this was like, I do want to be here. Yeah. I do want to do this, but I just felt like, like I, again, I'm like sort of, like a, 
I'm not meticulous. Look at my apartment. I'm clearly not meticulous, but I don't know. Like I need time to digest things and like to figure out what I'm going to wear. And like these very like, like a lot, I mean, show business is so much like that. Like, okay, we have an audition for you tomorrow. What? (laughs) (laughs) I need more time. Um, I mean, I got to the point where like my, my crowning achievement for me was that a morning, a national morning show called and at like seven fifty or six, between six and 7 a.m. And they're like, someone dropped out. Can you be on at eight o'clock? And I was like, I don't know how the hell I can, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember riding over, the, they, this was, they set a car and being in the car and thinking, the thing is, if I do well, that's great. Mm-hmm. But if I don't do well, they're not going to give me a free pass. It's not going to be like, well, we'll give her another shot because we know she was trying to help us out. They'll yeah. just be like, oh, she's not good on air. Um, <laughs> I remember being in the bus going to wherever they were quarantining us, I think in like Glendale for Last Comic Standing. And this guy got a, a call and was like, oh, wow. I they I just got a call from the uh, bookers of The Tonight Show. It was an old one with Jay Leno. And, they, and someone fell out and they heard I was in town. And everyone on the bus was like, dude, you got to go do that. And he was like, no way. I've been, I've been auditioning for them for like five years and to give me this last minute, I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. Yeah. But then I've never heard from him since. And so I feel like sometimes you just got to take those. I do think some opportunities came to me before I was ready. And I wonder if I had handled, like when I got to LA, or did this happen in New York? as well? No, I think it was more when I was in LA. No, it was when I was going back and forth between New York and LA. I had not officially moved here, but I knew I was going to move here. So my agent, would set up meeting general meetings. My listeners have definitely heard me talk about my feeling about general meetings. It's yeah. not positive. Uh, and I don't think I'm doing myself any favors by like making it so clear that I, <laughs> I do, I'm uncomfortable with general meetings, but they would set up these general meetings and even later pitch meetings. And I would go in not really knowing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I don't think I made a great impression. Whereas I think that if I had been more deliberate about it, like it's not really a, yes, they say it's a get to know you meeting, a chance for them to get to know you and a chance for you to get to know them. It's not really, it's really an audition where you're just yeah. supposed to be your, the best version of yourself. Oh, I know. I I'm not, but I, don't, I feel like I learned this like very recently. Oh, way I, too I late. It. I didn't learn it, but I knew I was doing it wrong. I wanted to just be out on the road in the, in the middle of nowhere and then occasionally pop into Los Angeles. And when my agent was like, all right, you're, you live here now. I'm going to send you out. And I would go to like pretty some like you know big meetings mm-hmm. you know, with like cbs and things like that and then i remember one time him telling me like yeah the feedback was i wasn't blown away <laughs> i was like was i supposed to blow that person away and he was yeah like, you gotta make an impression i was like i thought they were just asking me a right i thought you just go in there and be pleasant yeah no you don't you gotta go in there and dazzle them with stories and i know this. the i got the feedback from one of those that like she was more i don't know was either she was less funny than we were expecting or she was more normal than we were expecting. (laughs) I think it was, she was less funny than we were expecting. And my agent spun it as like, I guess they didn't want you to be, I don't know, normal or something like something like that. But I didn't, I truly thought like, this is how much I had it twisted in my head. I truly thought like they're already dazzled by me. That's why I'm going in. So now I just have to not blow it by being pleasant. Like it's completely, they don't, it's actually quite the opposite. They don't know who you are at all. And you're supposed to go in and make them feel that they can't live without (laughs) you. 
Which evidently at I don't some know how point to do that. used to work. That used to, and I think in Artie Lang's book, he talks about having a good like general meeting and getting like a seven hundred thousand dollar development deal. Yeah, they used to do those. It's just so perplexing. Now things like that will never happen again. They they've taken it now where it used to be that like too good to be true and made it more like the timeout New York thing where like you're lucky to get to do this and you'll get some exposure these sort of experiences right and they also well here's the thing what they say is they say like go out and do it like go out and be a youtube star yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know and then maybe you'll get a tv show from that uh-huh. however in my experience two things one it doesn't translate right and two uh they say that, and then all of a sudden, someone you've never heard of will have a TV show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. The, 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 the things that I think all of us have heard. Yes. With your whatever presence isn't big enough. And then someone gets something like, wait it a second. S- I remember I was, uh, I, I, I was flown to Georgia to audition for a show for the Weather Channel. And mm-hmm. I felt like I had done, like, to be the co-host of this. I you don't even remember what the show was. It mm-hmm. was it was very it ended up being a very short-lived show but then i saw who they chose and she had 60 twitter followers i'm like you've got to be kidding me that being said i don't i've now been around long enough that like oftentimes if it's something i didn't get and then it and then it's on air and then it gets canceled really fast i'm like well i don't know that that was right for me anyway yeah but like the that desire suddenly being there of did it light a fire in something that was always there that you didn't know about? Or you're like, secretly, this is really what I wanted to be doing. Well, that's a good question because now that I've had a kid and kind of took, I feel like I took my foot. I always, let me, let me rephrase. I always had my podcast. Well, of late my podcast and then my other stuff that I'm pursuing. Mm -hmm. And the podcast has really been, like my real job and the other stuff is kind of like irons in the fire, mm-hmm. but meetings and developing and pitching and all that stuff. And I really kind of took my foot off the gas of all that other stuff when I was pregnant and for much of even after Elliot's been born. And I've been wondering like, how important is all that other stuff? Why did I want all that other stuff? What did I really want? I mean, I think I mentioned this on the, on my podcast. um, And I think you were on that episode where I had the, you know, it was like a chain of thoughts like, okay, you know, a lot of people in this town, they're going to have to create their own opportunities. Like yeah. I, you know, cause I was, I, I, I've gone through different periods of my career where I have been sent out for stuff. Again, I feel like those opportunities came before I was ready to, I didn't even know that you can hire an acting coach to work with you before <laughs> you go into an audition. So instead I just took my uncoached, not good at acting, but wanted to act self into these auditions. Yeah. And, and I feel like with proper coaching, I probably could have done a lot better. I didn't even, did you know that's a thing? Yeah, I did. I was, resistant to it because i was like i just want to be a comedian and they'd be like yeah but you ought to give this a try i'm like i'll try it but i don't think i'm doing a good job or representing you very well mm-hmm. like you never know and i don't think i did <laughs> I went, <laughs> you but, did know it turns out <laughs> I, but my attitude was good and i would go in and be like i was in plays and stuff like i have acted right. I, I i don't think an acting coach is gonna make me 
better at the part. I think they'll make me look better to a casting person, which makes sense. I think that's how you get the, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Maybe. Cause then you look at people that are in things. You're like, this is bad acting. Yeah. But maybe they just nailed the audition. Right. Right. Yeah. I think there's definite people who their talent is auditions. Mm -hmm. I don't think I was one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If it's an audition where you're supposed to be yourself and or speak extemporaneously, those I usually did well at, (laughs) but if it's something scripted, not as much. So, I, yeah, so I was like, okay, I think, you know, I'm just someone who's going to have to create my own, this is me like two years ago, create my own opportunities. Okay, great. What can I create that's going to be successful? Yeah, yeah, And then I thought, but that's not, that, that, this is so backwards. That's not, I shouldn't be creating something just with the hopes that it's successful. I should be creating something because it's what I want to be saying. Yeah. Um, and if my desire to have, because that's been my longtime goal, like I want my own talk show or I want my own TV show. If it, it, It's like, it's always been I want my own talk show. And then the feedback is like, okay, but they're not just going to, they are not going to just give you a quote unquote, everything has air quotes in the sentence talk show. It needs to have more of a concept. So then I like, we come up with these sort of high concepty things. And then I think it's like too, it's, it's not even an, it's, it's not an idea that's so close to my heart anymore. It's just like a fancy oh, idea. Yeah. And then it starts matching all the parameters that they would choose. So then you're like, oh, I, my show has all those things. Because you like them or because you think they're marketable? Right. Like, it's oh. very, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So And then I started thinking, well, what is my desire to have a TV show really about? Because I could be putting myself I could be doing it on YouTube which by the way that is the that is the hopefully the next iteration of the podcast is to get cameras in the studio and to to be able to have a video component too and I'm excited about that um but but I for a while I wasn't and I thought like what is this about I think it's just about wanting the validation is this ringing a bell for you were you there when we were talking about this is wanting the validation it's wanting the person it's wanting someone to say you are a person we will give a tv show to oh sure it's that more than it's more than it's about like whatever it would be that i'm creating yeah we we talked about this a little bit last time of like magic wand right one or the other yeah typically like oh i wouldn't i don't want to lose this thing that i love right and that would be weird though when when presented with that versus a stack of cash and unpredictability. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I mean, I think I've been, I, I think a lot of it is like want it's wanting validation. It's wanting prestige. It's all the ego, all the ego hallmarks. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think hopefully those have fallen away a bit lately. I think they get introduced in, in a weird way. I think they're always there kids that like, cause when I was a kid, I loved like I'd pop in photos. Now I hate having my picture taken. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's because I genuinely hate it or I don't like that. That you don't thing need is it. there. Yeah. And I, I think like when athletes or models or especially models, cause you get now you're in stuff you're, but they, they go, we're going to go with someone younger. And, and you start thinking like, but, but, but wait a second. I, I don't want to wave goodbye to it. Like, this has been going on from the beginning of time. Yeah. It's just what's new? What's next? You right. You are new. Now you're not new anymore. And when you get that feeling of like, but it was me for a moment. <laughs> I think it can be kind of dangerous. Yeah. People struggle to move past it and be like, well, now what? Right. Well, that's like what you were saying about, you know, there's people who do yoga and there's so much stuff in this town to try to get you to a mindset where you can accept the ups and downs and the rejection. Like it's not a natural way to live. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, it's certainly bizarre and requires this 
weird countenance. And I, I get it when people outside of it are like, oh, Hollywood people. Like, yeah, it's a totally different mindset. Yeah. But they're dealing with rejection and all the things that come along with it on a level that most other people will never comprehend. Right. It's, right. And also, do you know anyone who's famous who's happy? Yeah, good question. I, I don't think I know anyone that's genuinely like, yep, balls to the wall, happy, never have a second guess about anything. I think there's a lot of like, yeah, I don't know. What's next? I interviewed Kevin Bacon a long time ago, and um, which was very exciting for me because I've been a long time Kevin Bacon fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, You're a sizzler. <laughs> that's what wait. he calls his fans. Does he really? Because no, of I the mean, Bacon Bros? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I saw the Bacon Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're not Sizzlers. But uh, but was that what you were referring to? Yeah, yeah. Were you a, a, like a fan of Bacon? Did you get that sizzle? Okay, mm-hmm. I get it, yeah. Um, Bad but you know that he has a band called the Bacon Brothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with his, bro- with his brother Michael. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so he said that... some. I remember him saying something about like it's all about trying to keep that heat mm-hmm. that like, you know, once you break through, then it's all about like, do I still have it? And that's a hard, that would be a hard way to live. The worst way. I think I am more interested in people that just like, remember um, the bad news bears, the original one, mm-hmm. Kelly leak. Yes. And now I can't remember that actor's name, but he, right. He went on to play a pedophile in something. Yeah. Happiness. And he's phenomenal at it, but he was like, it's, he has a three name name. I think. Yes. <sighs> I'm just going to look it up. Okay. Cause he, um, sort of brought him it came back and did Watchmen he did Happiness first I think and then a few other things like Watchmen and then he was gonna be the next Freddy Krueger they're gonna redo Nightmare on Elm Street he's gonna like carry the franchise and then it kind of just flopped and who knows Jackie Earl Haley yes there you go barely beat Google on that one um but I think in the interim he like went to Arizona and was just building houses and I was like, I like that. Mm-hmm. I think that, like, I hope he was happy doing that. And when acting was brought back into, like, hey, weirdly enough, you've got a movie role waiting for if you want to do it. They need this mm-hmm. creepy pedophile. And he went, yeah, all right. But hopefully he did it in a way of, like, okay, I, finally I can be happy again. Right. I think it was like, I am happy, and that would be fun also. Right. Yeah, it's weird. Every now and again in magazines, you'll see, like, you know, where are they now? And so-and-so who was you know, this big child star is a real estate agent or they're a teacher or they're this or that. And I, it always makes me feel sad for them in some way. I don't know why though. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely like a giving up on something. That's what it seems like. Who knows if that's really how they feel, but it seems like they had to accept just being like, Oh, they flew too close to the sun. They had to accept just being normal. Once again, I must apologize for the outside noise (laughs) space cave listeners. I'm sorry. But Gene Wilder kind of disappearing before the end of his life. Uh, Rick Moranis, people that just quietly are like, you know what? I don't need this for a while. I don't need this to validate me or to keep that heat, yeah. like that endless quest for it. I'm fascinated by it. And I'd hope that if I was chatting with them, I wouldn't have this feel of like, sure, you're happy. Right. Wouldn't you be much happier with a three picture deal? I, I just, I, I'd like to believe them. And hopefully they're like, that'd be the best to just chat right. with them. Like, I'm, I am happy. You can do it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is what we've been talking about, but it's like there's the there's the dual components of working in show business. There's the actual work and the actual art and the actual expression, which I think is hopefully pure and sustaining. And then there's all the attendant other stuff that can become what you pursue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you have to be really clear about which one it is. Yeah. Well, I think 
what you're doing, just just the podcast, has such like an impact and and I don't know. I think people would if 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 you had higher things you were attaining or trying to attain and not getting and scrambling and not getting to them and said I'm I'm closing it up. I think it would be so crushing to the people. And that's all you can hope for in entertainment or anything. Is that, that <laughs> people will be upset if you go away. No, no, no. Just that you've attached, that you've mattered, that you that you matter to people. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That's very nice. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing this and stopping by again. And um, they they just stopped making noise. <laughs> the outside. Well, now I have no interest in chatting further. <laughs> so I hired them. <laughs> Smart. Yeah, yeah. I really wanted to uh, make you feel. To challenge the listeners. <laughs> Um, any closing thoughts, any great memories, things from your days as a, a stringer that, um, stand out to you? Yes. I interviewed Kiss at man. This is, this is not going to be like a tying it all up in a neat bow. It's just a weird thing that happened. I interviewed Kiss at man's Chinese theater mm-hmm. and it was for the, did they have a album called psycho circus? I have no idea. Yeah. I do have a regret, which is there was this cool press kit that they gave everyone. And on my way, I was never super into Kiss. So I had this like cool press kit and there were all these people. It was like a, the I think maybe it was like a press conference f- thing where I was going to interview them first. And then they were letting just people in because there's a big old line of fans. And one of them asked if I wanted, if they could have it. And I'm like, oh, sure. And I gave it to them. It's... I should just be like, and I feel good about that. But instead I've always been like, I wonder how much that was worth. <laughs> like if I had put that on eBay, because a lot of music critics, because you get so much free stuff would sell their stuff on eBay or sell it. To, like I never really took advantage of that yeah. just because as someone who doesn't like dealing with paper and stuff, eBay seems like daunting because there's so much actually going to places. But anyway, yeah. I always want, but anyway, so I, we watched a video or something. It was the premiere of the video. And then behind the screen like behind the movie screen I interviewed them so already it was like a weird setting in that you're like on the other side of this big silver so like it it's like yeah. the it's weird it's a, it's a weird environment and I believe they were still wearing their super tall boots and this during my time covering stuff for the random notes section of Rolling Stone And also it turns out that the outside noise didn't stop. (laughs) Um, Maybe you overpaid them. Uh, People have a lot of strong feelings about Rolling Stone magazine. Mm -hmm. Not always positive. Like, and I think that was an almost famous as well. Like you're the man, you know? So oftentimes I would hear, I would be on the receiving end of their feelings about Rolling Stone. And it's like, but it's just, it's just, me like I'm I'm young and I don't even have a business card um so anyway I remember Gene Simmons going on about how they had Kiss had never been on the cover of Rolling Stone we've been on the cover of TV Guide we've been on like like, (laughs) listing all the places they've been on the cover of and I was like Gene (laughs) if I had any power to get you on the cover I would yeah but so I got a real earful earful from Gene you took it to the right source. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. From my mouth to yawn. Oh, speaking of J names, it is yawn winner to his ear. Oh, he was the editor in chief publisher. I can't remember, Hmm. but not anymore. Yeah. I I picture that Gene Simmons, there, like screaming at, uh, you know, the checkout person at target. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Why did target zone and build this building in this district? (laughs) You piece of shit. And the kid is like, I just need to pay my rent. Right. (laughs) (laughs) 
thanks again for having me. Thanks for doing it. It's always a pleasure. And um, everybody, get your hands on a copy of Tropical Tire Encouraged and other phrases that scare me. Mm-hmm. And check out Allison Rose is your new best friend. That's right. They can hear you. Yeah, I'm on from time to time. Well, I hope the sounds weren't too distracting. And um, I don't know. I, I, I like um, hearing about... It's so weird when people are like, oh, that seems like a, a lifetime ago. And then you look back at it and you're like, oh, that might have only been like 10 years or so. But when you're, say, 20, looking back to when you're 10 years old, it feels, it doesn't even feel like the same person. It feels a million years ago. Sometimes as you get older, it feels different. I don't know how accurate that is. Maybe that's just recently I've been feeling that way of like, man, 10 years ago feels like it was a much shorter period of time than um, when you're a child. And maybe that's because you're a fully grown adult for the duration, for the most part, from like whenever, you know, 17, 18, 20. I don't know what age you're fully formed on to the end. But anyway, I feel like she's done so many different things that it, it's, it does feel like uh, <laughs> it would be a full lifetime ago. But what an interesting trajectory and story. I love when that happens in people's lives. They're like, yeah, then this just started, this just started happening. And then all of a sudden this, I got to ask you to do this. The next thing you know, working for Rolling Stone and being staffed on um, things like Time Out, etc. I don't know. I thought it was cool. And um, glad she's back in Southern California now. And if you haven't listened to her podcast, it's pretty fun. Check it out. I'm on there from time to time. And um, couldn't find any in Gora's music this week, but the search will continue. But here's some music from the giraffes having fun. Thanks for stopping by the Space Game. It's on your face, blood appointed I guess that means the race that you've done running Has barely started But I'll tell you this for one thing I have really been enjoying Your pathetic little stabs at staying young Time for guns.